My name is Captain Ozzy with Marker 23 God Service, and you're listening to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast. Today I sat down with Roger Jones, a true Topsail Island native. I first met Roger at Eastern Outfitters in Hampstead, where we instantly become friends. Roger's passion for the water is contagious, and his knowledge on kayak fishing, dock fishing, and speckled trout are remarkable. Roger and I discussed a variety of topics in regards to the Topsail Island area, and I hope y'all enjoy this as much as we did, and thanks for listening. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. You will also be able to find extra video content that you can't find on YouTube. If you've loved listening to the Eastern Current Podcast, subscribing to our Patreon is a great way to help support the show. Man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Roger. I appreciate you making time to sit down with me. I appreciate you being so flexible. Um, But got Mr. Roger Jones sitting here with me today in the Market 23 headquarters. Uh, How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hey, um, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, man. Um, before we jump into everything, we've got a slew of topics. Uh, we just talked for at least an hour and a half about everything. I mean, I think we may have solved every world's problem in the last hour and a half before we started this thing. I think you're right. Man. I'm about <laughs> talked out, really. <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's just end this thing. I think we're good. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> uh, before we jump into everything we're going to talk about... Um, how how did you get into fishing? Where did this passion come from? Oh, I think uh, I think my story's pretty much like uh, most young men's. Are got a you know the the big influence was the father. Yeah, and uh, started off with uh, pan fishing, mm-hmm. uh, and um, getting out to uh, start got a little John boat, and we started going out in the intercoastal waterway. And back before. You know, a lot of species that um, that we don't see too much anymore were uh, very prevalent in this area. We used to go out and catch croakers and spots and things like that when I was a kid. Sure. With my little uh, Zebco 202 or 808. Yeah. And uh, now it's just um, something that, uh, that, you know, that seed got planted early. And uh, it's just, just a lot of fun. And it was, you know, it was always a good time on the boat with your dad, you know, when you're a little kid. Yeah. And, uh you know, uh, just getting out there in, in nature and seeing things you've never seen before and, you know, going back and telling your friends all the things you've done. But you know, Before I've, there was a social media to tell them. Absolutely. You had to believe your lies back then. Now you've got to prove it. <laughs> I had to believe your lies. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, no, just um, coming up fishing with, yep. with my father. And then, uh, you know, I got away from it for a long, long time when got married, had kids, you know, and we had a boat, but the boat was pulling, you know, skiers and, and knee boarders and so forth. And so, you know, my mm-hmm. kids grew up, my two girls grew up on the water as well. But, 
Yeah, not fishing. Yeah. Riding around, burning gas, and playing stereo loud and <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. So you grew up in this area. Yeah. Yeah, I've the been. The Topsail Island area. The Topsail area. I've lived right there in Hampstead for, uh, I think this year is going to be 33 or 34 years. Yeah. So You're yeah. probably, what, 34 years old, so. Oh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That, I feel like the. The locals born and raised around Topsail is a dying breed. That's really cool. Um, so, before we jump into anything else, uh, what what you said some of the species that you caught then aren't as prevalent as they are now. Touch on that just a little bit. What what was that like? Was it was it easier? Or was there just different species? I don't know. We um we used to catch a lot of croakers, uh, a lot of nice croakers, right? Uh, in Hampstead, in the waterway, you didn't have to go to play any place special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could just drop shrimp, or uh, we had these little small grubs that I don't even remember what they were. Something my my father used to fish, and um, and you just you just caught really nice croakers. But now you just don't catch them anymore, right? And um, you know, I, I, another part of my upbringing was you know my father actually for about a decade had a uh, I think it was a 25-foot Atlantic, and we had shrimp trawls. Mm-hmm. So if you want to ask me what happened to the croakers and spots and, and that sort of thing, um, I was probably a big part for a lot of years being in my mid-teens to my mid-20s, a big part of the reason why there isn't that, that many, I feel like, because we killed a tremendous amount of fish trying to catch a few shrimp. Yeah, and um, you know I saw firsthand what what that does when, yeah. when you when you pull a shrimp trawl down the intercoastal waterway for forty five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a uh, I have a confession and a question based on that. My confession is I'm a sucker for a good croaker bite. Oh, absolutely. I love croaker fishing, mm-hmm. and I don't think as a uh, flats guide that is a super popular <laughs> opinion, you know. Um, but dude, you give me a small hook and a piece of shrimp. And I, I think a croaker bite is um, is a ton of fun. Uh, one day, me and my good buddy who's been on the podcast before, Jeff Kidd, we needed to go catch some bait for some fish we were going to try to go catch later on. And um, croaker was apparently the hot bite at the time. And so we were like, we need to go catch some croaker. And I was like, man, I love catching croaker. He's like, dude, me too. And uh, we had a little competition to catching croaker, cut, caught some nice ones. And uh, there's another little time I was I was bull drum fishing on uh, the Noose River, the Pamlico Sound area, and um, tough day. I mean, blowing, beating us up. And I had a guy who was actually in a wheelchair, and it just got too rough to be out there because I mean we had we had him strapped down to the boat, but at the same time it was just. A little too sketchy you know i can only trust those straps so much so we come back in i'm like dude have you ever caught a croaker on really light tackle check this out and we had a blast we ended up boating one bull drum calling it good and then running back into like a little creek and uh we caught it the croaker hole and it was just it was a blast i i i, I don't crap on a, a croaker bite at all i think they're a ton of fun I don't know if that's popular or not, but and they're delicious. Yeah, and I, I loved it too. As, as a kid, we you know do the put the double dropper rig down, yeah. and sometimes you'd catch two at a time. And mm-hmm. on light tackle, that was a 
That was a crazy pull. It was. It was a lot of fun. And then my question to that statement, after confessing just, you know, my passion for Kroger, (laughs) um, uh, my question is, what other species were you seeing in that net? Was it was it just like the, if you will, saltwater panfish like the croaker in the spot, or was it? Were there other fish coming up? Yeah, we caught a lot of uh, caught a lot of juvenile flounder, mm-hmm. a lot of spots, a lot of croaker, uh, quite a few um, speckled trout. I would probably say uh, the speckled trout were the least of what we caught, mm-hmm. and we caught a lot of. A, a lot of um, spots and things like that, but you, we'd never pull that net up and we wouldn't have 15 or 20 uh, small speckled trout, probably three, four inches long. Wow. And especially, you know, we had two nets. So, mm-hmm. we, so we had a, we had a spring and summer net, which was our brown shrimp net, which was a lower profile net. We wanted mm-hmm. it to spread wide and be a lower profile. But in the fall of the year, when it was getting in cold into, we probably stopped shrimping around into November, December. We had a white shrimp net. Well, mm. The white shrimp net was very heavily floated on the top. Mm. So it wasn't about the width. It was about the depth. You had the chains on the bottom, the float, the, you know, the high flotation on the top. And that's when we would catch the most speckled trout. Really? And I'll tell you exactly where we were pulling. Marker 49 at Topsail back towards the bridge between that area. Mm-hmm. And we, you just, for what you get out of there, shrimp-wise, and, and let's, you know, that was a long time ago. I'm 57 years old now. So that was a long time ago. But the amount of fish that we were discarding as, you know, my father actually told me one day, he said, you know, I think that, you know, we could have a whole lot more fun catching these fish rather than catching these, you know, a hundred pounds of shrimp and killing hundreds of pounds of, of small bait fish. So he's, he, I think it actually, you know, it didn't really dawn on me at the time. I think it was probably too young, but it was starting to bother him. The amount of bycatch that he, that was happening right there in the waterway. And he stopped doing it. Yeah. He sold a boat. Wow. That's awesome. Well, he sold the nets. Yeah. And then we, we still fished out of the boat. That's awesome. I mean, that, to recognize that in that in that time, where the the resource, and I can only imagine at twenty four, twenty five years old, I, I would imagine the resource seemed endless. Oh, it absolutely. You did. know what I mean. Um, so I, good for him. You know, kudos to him for recognizing like that. I don't think it's gonna last forever, and I, I think we should probably stop and have more, way more fun catching and releasing, or catch even. Keeping a few to eat, you know, there's nothing wrong. I don't cast a stone at keep, keeping what you need um, to have a good dinner. But the, good for him because I would imagine if I was in the 70s that the, the, the resource probably did seem endless. And, the uh, you know, the bigger, more powerful fish are the ones that would get away. Really? But it was all the, the smaller fish. Anything under four inches mm-hmm. and everything, everything was, when it hit the calling box, just about everything was dead except for crabs. Wow. Uh, shrimp, oddly enough, are very hardy in a shrimp net. <laughs> That's they're, 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 they're clicking and snapping all over the place. Yeah. But um, Trying to poke you. No, the, but, the, but the fin fish, just they don't, they don't make it very long. Huh. That's interesting, man. Um, so from there, you, you took a break for a little bit, spent some time on a shrimp boat. Um, 
What was your introduction back to fish? What got you back into the inshore fishery? Oddly enough, my wife did. Really? Uh, and she rarely fishes, but uh, she went on a trip with some of her girlfriends, and they went kayaking. And she came home, and she loved it so much that she said, we're going to get a kayak. Yeah. We got to get some kayaks. You just don't know what a blast this is. So um, we actually went to um, Southport, and we met this gentleman who was a uh, a a dealer rep for Kaiku Kayaks, which is a, is a brand that was only really become pretty popular recently, but it, it was probably a small operation in Florida. Mm-hmm. So we ended up buying a couple of Kaikus, and uh, we brought them we brought them home and we started kayaking. I mean, we can put, uh, I'm very fortunate where I live. We have our own neighborhood boat ramp. So we could just drive down, put them in the water and, you know, go out in the marsh and, and so forth. And, and it really reintroduced me to, to the water. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I had a job that I traveled a tremendous amount and, you know, it was kind of a global thing. And, um, so getting reintroduced to that kind of brought me back to my, my roots, so to speak, yeah. if that makes any sense. So uh, we started uh, started going different places and kayaking and having a good time. And uh, I stopped and bought a little, one of those little Shakespeare combos for 20 bucks. Comes with a little tackle box and all that. But, excuse me, business. And uh, and we were out in some marsh areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was casting just the stuff that came in. I think there was some, I think half of it was fresh water. Yeah. And, I, and I caught a, a really nice i think probably about a 16 17 inch speckled trout on something that looked like a beetle spin <laughs> and uh and, and again i hadn't been fishing in in years and years and years and then that just reignited everything uh-huh. uh, because at that time that was probably the biggest speckled trout i'd ever caught sure and um so then i bought a little bit better fishing gear and then as time went on i really was getting hooked more and more and more and ended up upgrading the kayak to um, something that I didn't have to paddle, which and so I ended up getting a uh, in Hobie PA mm-hmm. fourteen, which is the pro angler I think PA stands for, but it's uh, it's a I think it's Hobie's uh, battleship of kayaks. It's yeah. it's it's, uh, it, it's really a big big stable unit, um, super quiet, uh, mm-hmm. and um, so started you know it just went from there mm-hmm. and. Uh, we well, through a couple of boats, you know, after that, but I still, I kayak fish, uh, most of the winter, every winter yeah. because I can get to a lot like you, I'm kind of a speckled trout junkie yeah. in, in the winter. I wasn't always that guy, but, uh, kind of learned to love and, and hate that fish at the same time. <laughs> well said, yeah. well said, but, uh, it gets me to the places that, my flats boat can't get me and mm-hmm. um and you know and and it gets me to uh actually the places where I end up getting out and walking a lot of times and that's and, awesome and going after them from there because so the kayak do, won't even go right do you do quite a bit of wading uh no I don't do any wading I do walking <laughs> <laughs> because I water you know it's, Walk, it's cold and I, grass. yeah and I don't have the gear I, I've gotcha. just got uh you know like calf boots okay gotcha so, so I'm I'm up in the mud and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Luckily, around Hampstead, where where I uh, am, the bottom's a little bit harder than it is mm-hmm. up at Topsail. Yeah. So what in a forecast makes you decide whether or not you're going to drop your boat or you're going to 
load up your kayak. I am a huge baby when it comes to being cold. <laughs> and I've, I've got my boat is I've got it, uh, Hughes, um, Redfisher 18. And, uh, you know, it'll go about, I don't know, probably about 45 miles an hour, 46. And, and that's how fast I like to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I don't, I don't use it that much in the, uh, in the winter mm-hmm. because I can go out with the kayak. I can get to the, to the areas that, um, that I want to fish and, um, I can stay down below the wind because the marsh grass and all that's higher than, than me mm-hmm. at that point. Cause you're sitting so low to the water. Uh, so it's just, it's warmer. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's got 100% to do with uh, comfort in the wintertime. And I don't use the kayak that much in the summer. Do you not? You just no. stick to the red fisher? Uh, pretty much just stick to the stick to the flats boat. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, does how you approach fish and, and the differences in how you fish change a lot between which one you're using? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have to, uh, if, if I'm in the boat, I mean, I'm throwing seven and a half foot rods and things because I've got to, you know, I can't, the fish you know, that boat has much more of a presence Mm -hmm. than my kayak has. I've actually been in schools of redfish with my kayak. I told, um, I think I might've said something about it on a, on a previous podcast that I I was on, but I actually was casting at a bank. Everything looked just super fishy. There was, there was shrimp popping, showering out into the grass. There were swirls. Um, I was I was casting in that general direction, but I wasn't getting any I wasn't getting any bites. I wasn't getting any blow ups on top water or anything. So I was actually going to change gear, and I went to put the rod and the rod rack behind me. And when I did, I dropped it in the kayak. Well, it thumped really loud when it hit that you know that reel hit that plastic. Well, the, all of the water around me erupted because I was. Actually, the reason I wasn't catching those fish is I was catching, I was casting over them because I was in the school with that kayak, and and I was probably in two and a half, three feet of water. They and, just and were they, not aware of you. No, well, if they were, they didn't care. Yeah, because I, I've I've said this to pretty much anybody that would listen about kayak fishing. I just don't think that the kayak is is alien to the fish I, I don't think that they you know i know that when i pull in there with an 18 foot boat with a trolling motor on it there's a lot of there's vibrations there's pressure there, there's all those things that they're sensing but they just don't feel that with, with a kayak and anything that you know and i'm not even breaking the water with a paddle because you know the hobie and any pedal drive i assume is just as just as quiet but um they just don't have a presence in the water. So you go, they're smooth. They don't make any noise, and you just go nice and slow, and you just ease right in there. Yeah. And, and they don't know you don't have to make those super long casts anymore. Um, they just, um, they're just okay with you being in the area. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you find that is it a challenge sight fishing because you're a little bit lower? No, I stand up. Do you? Okay. Yeah. yeah this is, you know, most of the. Most of any of your pedal drive kayaks now are super wide. You, you've, got a, you've got your paddling kayak variety, which is your longer, narrower. Okay. But once you get into the, the pedal type kayaks or the ones that you don't have to have a paddle for, mm-hmm. they, get, they get really wide. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't paddle well at all. <laughs> the paddles just 
the safety device really at that point. But um, so you can stand up in those and, and fish. And I'm six foot four, so I, I can see still see pretty well. Yeah, I've always thought as a sight fisherman, and man, if I was six foot something. That sure would help. You know, standing at five nine, <laughs> I need every inch of that platform I can get. Absolutely. But um, I was also going to ask, what what do you think changes in your approach to a fish? So say you have fish in a spot in a kayak and you have fish in a spot in a boat. Does your approach change any? I understand that you're able to get a whole lot closer to them but does, does breaking down a spot or your methodology in, in catching those fish, does that change a lot, or does that stay the same in between both rigs? No, I'm much more thorough fisherman than kayak, Yeah, for, for sure. That's what I was assuming. And a lot of people blame it on, they said, well, you know, it's because of your range. And I said, well, it's nothing for me to go five, six miles. That's wild. And uh, now that I have some electronics on my kayak, I can actually see some of these crazy trips and how far I went. Yeah. So, um, uh, but no, I, I'm, and I think one of the ways that it makes you more complete fisherman is just because of the speed of it. It's not really that you can't cover plenty of water because you can, but you're, you're going at it at two miles an hour. Yeah. Well, even when you're on your trolling motor and the winds at your back and the tides you know, going with you, it, it's hard to even go that slow. So I, I think, you know, just the speed of it all and you, you, you pick apart an area and if you're in an area longer, you notice more things. You, mm-hmm. you become, uh, you know, I don't know, you, you, you get fishy yeah. uh, if, that's a, if that's a thing. Uh, because, you know, there used to be ways that, you know, you would go in and try to break down a spot. And then it gets to the point to where you kind of go into an area and it's almost like you know whether it's going to produce or not. Mm-hmm. Even if you, it's the first time that you've been there. That's right. It, or you just have a feeling. Maybe it's mm-hmm. just a feeling. Yeah. I think... So I would not say I'm a very fishy person by nature. Um, I fish tournaments with the you know, tournament partner of mine, Noah Harrison. He's a fishy person. I don't know if it come by time. I don't. I don't know what it was, you know. But when we crossed paths, he was just fishy. He, he he knew like he knew where to put his cast. He had a certain level of focus when we were fishing that that produced fish on the boat. Period. And even when we would travel to other places and we wouldn't know nothing about it. He would, he would, he would just know. You know what I mean. He would, he would look at certain bends and cuts and in pockets and, you know, this is or even if it was a satellite imagery on Google Earth, he'd be like that. We need to fish that, and I trusted him. I mean, and do trust him. And um, what I've learned after after guiding for a, a few years now is that I will a I'm not fishy. I'm very analytical, right? So I preach fishing log. Um, but using that fishing log and spending a you know abundant amount of time on the water, is I do feel like I have learned how to be fishy. I think it's a, an acquired thing. I think you can acquire that. Um, but I think what separates someone apart from from being sometimes successful to regularly successful as an angler, you know, call it becoming fishy if you want to call it that, is being observant, being and aware. I, being aware, watching, you know what I mean? Like the tide was this, the bait did this, the bait was, you know, slip around that current seam this way, and, and the fish were doing this. They were in the grass, out of the grass, in the pocket, you know what I mean? The fun thing about angling is there's a thousand different, you know, factors, and they're always changing. And you have to grasp what just happened 
and then duplicate it. Mm-hmm. And then I just re- I just recently heard um, he was a walleye tournament guy, and he was um, he was not a lead stuffer. He was actually one of the honest ones, <laughs> but um, he was a walleye guy. And he was talking about how being a being observant is great, and he was like, I would make a bad cast from time to time. I was trying to rip it back in and, and do something. But if I caught a fish on that bad cast, I wouldn't think nothing of it. You know, I'm like, I need to go do this. I need to hit the dock this way, blah, blah, blah. He's like, but I started to slow down, be aware, and watch. And those bad casts weren't bad casts. They produced fish. So I would start making the same cast, you know, even if it was 15 feet from the boat and ripping it way faster than I thought. And um, that kind of stuck with me, dude. I applied that last winter. I was trout fishing, and I made what I thought was a bad cast, and I started ripping my you know, MR-17 or MR-27 back to the boat, basically subsurface, if it was even subsurface. Then it got crushed, you know, silver streak, and then I was tight. I was like, dang, that was crazy. And you just smoked my top or smoked my mirror lure off the top of the water, and I, so I started doing that. I started you know, ripping them back, you know, four or five casts and ended up with like two or three fish that I probably would have never caught. Um, so and that's, that's quite the little rabbit hole to go into. But I think anybody who is aware and who is observant when they're on the water, they're watching the circumstance, they're watching the bait, they're watching, you know, everything that can be observed and, and taken into uh, or taken into account uh, that it makes them a better angler. And I think kayakers get that more than anybody. Because you're almost forced to. You know, you're not, you don't have the ability. I've always thought if I had the ability to run 60 miles an hour, I would just miss everything. Yeah, I, I miss a lot in the boat as well. Yeah. And in, in with, um, with the kayak, again, getting back to the speed, it's slow, it's methodical. But if you're out there to, to fish, you see a lot of things that mm-hmm. you would normally see. A lot of little, you know, little ditches and little creek mouths that I would go right by in my boat. And then I pull redfish off of them. Mm-hmm. And or, you know, you go through an area and, and you, you dissect it and you take it apart limb by limb and you don't catch a single fish, but you've got a little voodoo shrimp that you've tossed off the back of the kayak that you're just kind of dragging along and one comes up behind you and picks that up. Yeah. Uh, sometimes those are your day savers. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, dude. Um, you, you, so you mentioned 7-6 on the boat. What is what is your setup? And without giving any way any any little real secrets, what is your setups and go tos on the kayak? I I probably I think I probably got about seven foot for everything. A little, little shorter, just a little bit shorter. Uh-huh. Um, and again, because a lot of times with the kayak, I'm more close quarters. I'm closer to the bank. I'm closer to the docks. Heck, I might be under the dock. Uh, so. Um, everything a little bit shorter. And then if I'm using like medium light stuff in the boat a little bit longer, I'm, I might be using some, some medium stuff a little bit shorter and in the kayak just so I could make those little short casts and things around docks. Yeah. I got you. Whippier rods. I, I don't have the talent to do it with. <laughs> no, I understand completely. <laughs> me neither. Um, so, so tell me a little bit why you choose seven foot and why you choose seven six in the boat and kind of break that down that i know you uh you now work at eastern outfitters and sell um and have worked at eastern for a while now right yeah i guess it has been a while i, I don't work very often i'm more the the guy you call if you want a day off uh, i don't i'm not on the schedule but, uh-huh. you know so I, I work 
sometimes yeah. three, four days a month, sometimes a couple of days a month. Yeah, but, but you, it, you you understand tackle really well. I've, I've, I've in Eastern Outfitters a ton, and um, I actually worked there went through high school a little bit after high school, and um, that's kind of where I think you and I ran into each other was Eastern Outfitters. But uh, in in working with you and um, hearing you talk to customers and stuff you understand tackle really well so what led you to choosing the tackle you know the the seven mediums or the seven medium lights or how did you land there on your on your on your rigs i i wanted to uh i really never had a before this boat i really never had the the shallow boat so i had to to make as long a cast as possible to try to get to where i thought the fish were uh, we should just like the old scenario that if you're out in the middle of the lake, you you <laughs> cast towards the shore, and if you're on the shore, you cast toward the middle. Yeah. But um, I've always wanted to try to get the bait out there as, as long and far as I could, and, and it's still my strategy today, even in the kayak, if I can get back far enough or if if, if where I want to fish isn't so so tight, because the longer the bait's in the water, the long you know the more opportunity that you're going to have to yeah. catch the fish. And anybody that's fished for a while, I mean, you've caught fish out on the end of your cast when mm-hmm. it hit the water, and you've also caught them as you were reeling it out of the water right beside the mm-hmm. boat. So um, I just like to get give that bait to be the opportunity to be in the water just as long as possible. Just being a numbers game. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. I often say, and, and any, any um, anybody who's fished with me has probably heard me say this, but he who casts the furthest catches the most redfish. I believe that. I don't find myself catching a ton of redfish right next to the boat not a ton you know you do have those occasions where they're fired up and they're going to smoke it right next to the boat but um i've heard judd say you know the longer a redfish has to look at a red uh, a bait less likely he is less likely he is to eat it and exactly the opposite for a speckled trout 100 percent where i was going mm-hmm. I, I think trout like to follow Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. We've we've fished in uh, inland creeks and, and waterways where we've gone through an area, and I'm very fortunate to, to know a couple of outstanding trout fishermen that have really caught, taught me a lot. And uh, we'll go through and just dissect an area mm-hmm. and then come back through on the trolling motor to leave and throw a paddle tail off of the back and catch 20 foot. You know, really, because they've had an opportunity to follow it for a long time. Yeah, and I, and I'm thoroughly convinced that our casts weren't long enough. That that bait wasn't in long in the water long enough for that fish to follow it for wow. as long as it needs to, because we would troll through and get one. Now that's definitely not the way I want to catch a fish. It, yeah. It's trolling, but you know we kind of stumbled upon that by accident. Yeah. That still shows you a lot about the species and, and a lot about the fish. I've caught fish trolling, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's crazy that you go through one time casting and then you come back and, and catch them doing something completely different. Absolutely. That's, that's, that, I think that speaks a lot to the fish behavior. Uh, last year, I think we were talking before the podcast, um, by far my best year, fall, and probably into Christmas uh, for size and speckled mm-hmm. trout this year. Uh, and I was throwing these those big five-inch Z-Man paddle tails, which mm-hmm. everybody told me, I've always been told all my life by some of the troutiest people that I know that mm-hmm. that's too big. That's too big for that time of year. All the bait's leaving and um, and throwing it as far as you could throw it and reeling it back a 
along the bottom like you were fishing for flounder. And they just come down and scooped it up. And, uh, you know, I had multiple days where I had three and four fish over 20 inches uh, by doing something that I've never done before because I've always been a hard bait, mare lure yeah. guy. For, and then, you know, so the, the paddle tails for the redfish. Right. Just venturing out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. Just doing, well, nothing I was doing up until that was working. <laughs> but um, it was just forced, but naturally. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and again, started, you know, since I, you know, when I worked and I fished, I had to fish when I had the opportunity. Now I can watch things. I can watch the tides. I can, you know, I can watch the moon and so forth and, and sort of get into a little bit of that. But um, this year, it was all about the tide. Didn't have anything to do with the moon, at least for me. Mm-hmm. It, it was all about the tide. And, and uh, the water wasn't, you know, particularly cold yet. It was probably mid-60s. But... I would go out, and if I fished the top of the tide, I was catching, you know, the lizard fish and so forth were still here. Mm-hmm. So you would catch those at the top of the tide. If it was about 25% into the tide, it was a, kind of a bluefish bite, small blues, in the area that I was fishing. Super hard ripping current. And then when it would get to the middle of the tide, it for anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, it was 100% speckled trout bite. Really? Oh, and... I was able to ride that for several weeks and then, you know, some family matters got in the way and I wasn't able to do it for, for a while. And then, um, got back into it and they were gone. <laughs> I never could get back on them again, but yeah. I was really on an, I was on an epic bite for about four or five weeks. Wow. Dude, that's crazy. So I think that just speaks for the Topsail Island area from the North end to the South end. And I, I say this all the time. People ask me, what time are we going to start the trip? I say, it's all about what the tides say. It's all about, you know, if we're leaving from the north end, then I need to look at the tide cycle. And, and it's all about what the tides say. Tides tell me where to be. It'd all be all. But I, I've also earned a reputation. I get kind of picked on from time to time for being a barometer guy. I, I preach barometer. Uh, I want to fish during majors and minors and, and things like that. Um, but I, I mean, moon phase is also a, a pretty big deal. I think if you're going to fish the majority days out of the month, I think moon phase is, is big. Um, if you fish, if, if, if you look out, say you're up late enough, which <laughs> I have an old man schedule. I'm not often up late enough to even know what the moon's doing. I have to look at an app, but if you go outside and it looks like a stadium outside at night, then those fish are, and everybody knows this, but those fish are not super likely to eat the following sunrise. They have enough light and a full tide cycle to eat all night long. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I uh, never have any luck Mm-mm. first couple of days after a full moon. It's tough. I, you know, you'll catch a few, but it's it'd be nothing like the bite you were on the week before. That's right. That's exactly right. If if you're gonna have, if you have to book a trip or whatever. After a full moon, bright night, pray for clouds. Yeah, the next day. <laughs> you pray for clouds all night long, and just you want it to not be a very bright night. Um, or ask your God about a night trip. And I'll, I'll leave that there. Yeah, I didn't think about the night trips. You can fish all hours of the day, and there is some epic things that happen on a full moon. Really? It's pretty cool. Um, with not, not, I'm not going to give away too much, but... You can fish all hours of the night. There's low tides at night. There's high tides at night. 
and just there's there's some good things that happen. So if I want to know the black magic that happens in your boat at night, I come up to book a trip. <laughs> yeah. You got to pay to play, <laughs> brother. That's right. It's the name of the game. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. It, it, that that is just one thing to be considered for sure. But um, if you got to fish the next morning after a full moon, it's um, I, I would like to have an afternoon low tide after a okay. full moon. Let the tide do its thing a couple times, you know, kind of restart. Typically ends up being a late afternoon low tide and pretty negative low if it's going to be full. And uh, as that tide drops out and comes back in, that that's when if, if 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 I had to pick, you know, if I get if I get the phone call during a full tide full moon cycle about I want to take a fishing trip, like can you fish the afternoon? That's the first question. Um, but that that's the factors I like to look at. I like to look at barometer. You know, where are the fronts? How are we looking as far as fronts around us? Fronts have been over us, stuff like that. And then, um, of course, the moon. But, honestly, the tides tell all. That tells me where I'm going to be regardless of the other factors. So what what are some of the factors you like to look at? You said tide. Obviously, this yeah, year tide, was tide. Tide 100%. Yeah. Um, I pay attention to the moon. I don't pay any attention to barometer or majors or minors, uh, mostly because – I haven't educated myself, you know, enough to know, you know, what really all that means. And, uh, and the bottom line is I'm going to go fishing anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do know that if there's yard work or something that needs to be done, uh, day after a full moon is probably when I'm going to be doing it. (laughs) I like that. That's awesome. I, I wouldn't, I preach barometer, but barometer has a, it has a huge impact. But it rarely changes my game plan. I understand. Yeah, um, I know that sounds funny to say, but barometer is the difference between two fish and ten fish. You know what I mean? You can still go; those fish are still there. Um, I do preach barometer. I have mentioned barometer a lot. The barometric pressure is important. Excuse me, but I think the barometer ends up being a cause uh, for for something. If I need to be at a certain place at a certain time for a group of fish to come by, then I'm going to go to that tide. You know what I mean? And if I need to fish at a, a certain tide after the full moon, then I'm just going to fish at a certain tide after the full moon. The barometer ends up being, I don't want to call it an excuse, but more of like, that's why that happened. Let's say we crushed, you know, we have a sick day and we catch a ton of fish in that, well, because it was during a major. Right. And then... You look at your salooner tables, and there's a zero percent chance, and there's you know it's just a crap bite, and not during a major, not during a minor, a terrible after post front, whatever. You still go where the tide tells you to go. You still do what you're going to do according to the moon. You still, you know, do whatever. But if it's it's a crap bite, even though you saw the fish, there's a pretty bad pressure. But at the the, the barometer rarely tells me where to go. If that makes sense. There's been a few times where I like, I want to be in this creek during the major. I want to be in this bay during the major or something like that because I know there's a group of fish there that should snap during that. But very rarely does the barometer or or the barometric pressure tell me, you know, affect my game plan heavily. I mean, I pay attention to, you know, major fronts and things like that. And, um, you know, I've actually been out on – one of those really hot days in, in the summer, and then, you know, the storm clouds come over, and you can tell that they're not going to be with you very long, so you just stay, 
and it starts raining and the bike turns on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's cool water being introduced in a hot bay or Ooh, oxygen, yeah. you know, oxygen being driven in by the raindrop. I don't know the science behind it, but I do know it works. Yeah. Because it's worked a couple of times yeah, for yeah. me. That's pretty sick. And I, I get just what you said. Like, you know, sometimes I don't know the science, but I know this works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I couldn't tell you what the heck gulp juice is. But I know, God dog, it it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I've never been a, I've never been a gulp guy. I've never really messed with it very oh, much. Oh, dude, it's like it's like crack. Don't start. Don't start it. No, okay, I'll you'll, stay off you'll keep using it. I said I talk about black magic, dude. In the wintertime, if if we're going to be fishing spin rods, there's very few times there's not a three inch white and chartreuse gulp tied into the end of it. But um, got to go with what works. Yeah, getting into the baits, man. Walk me through some of your favorite baits throughout the year that you like to have tied on on your rigs, both kayak and boat. Also, if they if they deviate, if your kayak baits and your boat baits deviate, talk about that. That's that's a really long question. Yeah, that's a lot to think about. <laughs> um, I'll give you a minute. <laughs> now, in, in the summertime, I, it's always going to be that top water is going to be number one. And, yep. and I fish... I, everybody that's ever gone fishing with me knows that Roger's going to throw top water way longer than he should <laughs> because that two or three times it's paid off. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's been those bluebird days where it's 12 o'clock and the wind's blowing and it's just, you shouldn't be probably even fishing. And then you get on a good top water bite. You just never know. Mm-hmm. And, and there's really, to me, there's nothing like that rush uh, of top water, but I'll fish top water usually from, from daylight till about, maybe nine or, or so. And if I see some fish in an area, especially a shallow area, and they're not interested in the top water, I'm probably the next thing I'm going to throw at them is a wake bait. Okay. Uh, we, I kind of got into the wake bait fishing, I think about three years ago. And I was, um, I think it's Strike King makes the hunchback. Uh, it's a, it's almost a banana shaped, uh, bait. Um, but it'll, It'll go just under the water, just like wake baits do, and you hold the rod tip up, and it'll actually almost stay on the surface. If you hold your rod tip down, you can probably get it an inch or two under the water, but the back end of that bait swings violently, almost like even more action, really, than a topwater. But the fish will commit to that. Uh, I don't know why. The the difference, um, maybe they're just tired of seeing that stick bait walk, you know, over them time and time again. But when you... When you catch a fish on a topwater plug, as I don't have to tell you, it's if you it's a fifty fifty shot whether you're going to yep. get it to the boat or not. But when you catch one on one of those, which is essentially a little crankbait, when you when you catch one on a wake bait, they've got typically that whole bait in their mouth because yeah. they've come up behind it or they've crashed it from the side. Yeah. Um, the other thing that um, I started fishing last year that that turned out to be a really good producer for me is those uh, underspin jig heads. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to have just a little bit more flash, especially when, you know, you've got your soft plastic, your paddle tail on, and then you've got just that little bit of flash on the belly of it. I, I, it really has changed the, the red fishing game on tough days uh, for me. But then if I'm going to go any deeper than – I don't do a whole lot of deep fishing, so deep for me is like five or six yeah. feet, um, except when I'm going to the river, which I started doing quite a bit. But um, – that's a whole nother discussion, that 30 and 40 <laughs> foot stuff. I've so, uh, yeah. been having a blast there, though. But um, 
I'll switch over to uh, to like a rat tail or I guess you call them jerk shads yep. uh, on maybe up to maybe up to a three eighths quarter ounce jig head, not anything super uh, super heavy, but um, I really like uh, in the summertime also the smaller uh, I think Z Man calls them the paddler Z. It's not mm-hmm. a it's not a big bait. It's not like the big. I, I do things really opposite because I'm throwing these huge baits in the wintertime and I'm throwing these small ones in the summer, but, uh, do a lot of dock fishing. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so you can, they skip really well. So you can skip them through a dock all the way out the other side and then work them back through Mm -hmm. and, um, nice and slow. And, um, so that's, that's pretty much where, where I fall. I don't do really any live bait. Um, Mm -hmm. I might do it two or three times a year. If I do it, it's probably going to be in dog days of August yeah, or something like it. that because they're just not eating anything. Right. Yet. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Do, do your baits change at all in when you, whether or not you load the kayak up or drop the boat? Uh, no, not, not, not really. You stick in the same. No, I, I, my gear changes a little bit. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes we've, you've got a little bit different game plan because even when I'm, going what I call deep water fishing around mm-hmm. docks and things like that. I'm probably going to be throwing top water and stuff yeah. on those docks, especially so I can get myself in a situation where I'm on the up current side. And so I can throw the baits back in the corner. We call the corner between the land and where the dock intersects the land, throw it in the corner and then walk the bait out just ahead of all the pilings. And, um, Try to get it, you know, on top water that way. Sometimes you've you're throwing towards where the land meets the dock, up current, and walking it back to you. Right. So the the bait is constantly trying to be swept under the dock. So okay. if you get your cadence and your timing right, you can run it down and almost bump every piling. But what's weird about that is you might do that two or three times and and think, well, there's nothing here. But when you do it that fourth, fifth, or sixth time, that's when that thirty inch redfish will come out and. Most of the time, take your plug home with him, but uh, but, <laughs> but you so know you'll hook up. Yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll hook up, and I, I think sometimes it calls them in. I mm-hmm. think sometimes it might just agitate them. You know, I, I don't know really yeah. what the what the mindset is there because. Um, I, but I think any time that you're fishing in water, that's uh, getting back to the top water thing, fishing it too long in the day. My philosophy is, if you're fishing two feet of water, the redfish isn't probably two or three inches off the bottom he's what five inches tall so you're basically still it's in his face so if yeah if he's you know if he's in the area and you can get it close enough to him even if he's not interested maybe you know you can make it interesting yeah no i totally agree and i've often often wondered and this is this is a long comment but i've often wondered if the redfish that hit that on the fifth cast did was did he hear that from a long ways away, or That's did he get pissed off because he's he's seen it five times over his head? I think he's heard it from a long ways away. I would have to agree with you. I think you've called him in. Yep, I do too. I think he heard it from. It could have been two docks down or, or where you know. Give the scenario. Here's how I think about my baits. I may have shared this before, but I'll beat the dead horse. Every bait has a um, circumference that it's effective in. I think topwater's huge, right? I think topwater radius is giant. I said circumference. I meant radius. Right. Um, yeah, geometry's not my thing, apparently. 
No, but I, I think it, it calls fish in. It catches fish that are far away. You have other baits that in the wintertime are not as aggressive. They don't call as many fish in. Our water gets clear. The fish gets cooled up. Things like um, TRDs, um, creature baits on Ned heads. They, if the if the lure's not within six inches of his face, uh, then he's probably not going to exist, right? Um, in the wintertime, I'm telling people, within two twitches, within two strips of the fly rod, you, that thing should be right where he eats, right in his gullet. Um, but in the summertime, you know, I'm throwing top waters, I'm throwing spinner baits. I just, I, I, the way that I progress it in my head, top water's number one, probably the loudest bait I have. Wake baits, equally as loud, maybe a little less. Spinner baits, they put off a vibration, they're flashy. So it has a little less radius. Spoons, flashy, have a little vibration, a little less than a spinner bait. Paddle tail. It, you know, it, it, in my mind, I have it pyramided or, or in tiers, you know, coming down from the, the top water. But top water is the loudest. It calls more fish in than any other bait I have. It, I, if I need to run through an area really quick, I can make, I don't know. 10 casts to 150 yards and think, you know, I have probably showed this bait or they've heard it and I can, I know what fish are in that area. Long comment to what you said, but I totally agree that it, it maybe you're pissing them off, but I think you called them in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I think because maybe you're a kayak angler or you're more diligent, you're staying in the area and making the same cast five times, but I, uh, I I utilize the same theory in a different way in the fact that I can, you know, I can take this big, long bank. I make five casts with my trolling motor on six, seven, and know that I pretty well covered it. You know, if I didn't get two or three blowups, I'm probably not coming back. But that's that's the way I view it. But if I did get three blowups, I might start back at the beginning of that bank and really pick through it with something that, you know, picks that bank apart. More of a finesse bait. Fin- finesse bait, a gulp or or paddle tail, or um, even with my top water, if circumstances allow it, and, and just go a little slower. But I feel like I can speed through a bank with a top water, and know have a pretty good feeling. It go really really fast, and have a good feeling whether or not there's fish there or not. Did I get any nips, follows, rises, whatever you want to call them. <sighs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, another bait that I don't typically throw on the boat. Now, I don't know why. Maybe I don't have any on the boat, but I throw X-wraps quite a bit uh, in, in the kayak. It's when I get into – you can throw them right up on the bank mm-hmm. and, um, and and work them back to you. Sometimes um, sometimes that's the ticket. I, I'm, I'm really a – I really love hard baits, as you, as you, can, <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. But uh, I – I'm sure that if, if I use more live bait, I could catch a lot more fish. Sure. If I used gulp, maybe I could catch more fish. I, I don't know. It's just something, I, you know, uh, a couple of bags of gulp and so forth that I've ever had. It's either leaked all over me or <laughs> uh, it's in my tackle box or it dries out or whatever. And it, to me, it's just, you know, you can a bag of Z-Man will last you a month, yeah. you know, as long as you're not fishing heavy structure. As long as it don't melt. Yeah, I had I hadn't had too much problem with that. You never had a Z-Man melt? Mm-mm. It'll melt. But they have improved their packaging. So if you notice, like, diesel minnows or um, jerk shads or the streaks or whatever, a lot of them have this, like, molded 
Oh, the tray. Yeah. The little tray. That's, that's what it's for. Is that's what it, yeah. I don't know. I really haven't had a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of issues. I keep my, uh, I keep most of my baits in, you know, on my kayak, they're in a little angle cooler, mm-hmm. which just because that's waterproof. Yeah. And, uh, and on my boat, I, I guess they just doesn't get hot enough in there. When I was much more irresponsible than I am now, I, I rode a, uh, aluminum boat, about 17 foot long and, um, kept it outside and I mean, there would be baits just thrown in the floor of it. You know, I was a uh, man. I don't know how old I was, 17, 18 years old and, um, did not keep it as clean as I should, did not keep it, you know, as organized as I should. And, um, I would just throw Z-Man baits or whatever on the console or side console or on the deck or whatever. And, uh, Z-Man would melt in the summertime and like this dark green carpet. That was my only beef. That like I, I hated picking melted Z-Man out of my my <laughs> carpet because it's a carpeted little John boat. But now that I keep my boat in a garage, I've never had any problems. But I also noticed that they put these inside the package. They're in trays. Keeps the form. Keeps the structure. If it did melt, it would you know form right back into. So no, I, I don't know if they did that on purpose or not. Just a change that I noticed. Once I started being responsible and getting baits out of my floor and uh, putting my boat in a garage. Was uh, somebody else paying for those irresponsible baits? You know, I wish. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never actually had, had that luxury. Um, now, I, I, at the time, I worked at Rusty's Bait and Tackle and then later on switched to Eastern Outfitters. So, no, it was always I was bad about spending my entire paycheck um, at Eastern Outfitters. They would pay me, and i put it right back. <laughs> I've never made a dollar at Eastern Outfitters. <laughs> I hope Every dollar they've ever given me, I've given them five back. I hope they're listening. <laughs> I, I know. They, I think they look at us as investments. Like I'm going to keep employing anglers because I sp- okay. I spend a hundred dollars to employ them every week, but I get fifty dollars back on that investment. Oh heck yeah, <laughs> heck yeah! I, I wouldn't even want anybody to. To, to run the numbers on what I've spent in there in the past three years. I just found out they can do that for you. I don't want to know. <laughs> I do not want to know. Keep that to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I was the same way. I'm, I'm probably worse now, I guess, than I'm guiding. But when I was there, like I would get my paycheck, and I, it was gone just as quick. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, paid, I paid my dad rent at the time, you know, seven, 16, 17 years old, and the rest of it, gone yep. right? fish yeah. and tackle and i was bad i would have crappy tackle but i would have all the new baits you new colors and stuff like that i eventually picked up some different tackle i'm like oh my gosh this either this is the game changer and i i don't know where i land now do i want a better setup or do i want a better bait that's a tough one but yeah yeah I, i'm all over the place i usually end up fishing about the same four or five colors Everybody and, I and talk if, to, and if I'm if I'm in the if I'm in the river, fishing for striper, I'm going to be throwing chartreuse or white. Yeah, I, I don't know jerk shads. Yeah, jerk shads. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm fishing for if I'm up at topsail, I'm going to be throwing um, that gold rush, red bone. These are all Z-Man colors. Or I've recently I've fallen in love with that. Um, what do we call it? Beer run. Beer run. Beer run. It's a, the it's pearl a, white bottom with the gold flakes right. on top. Yeah, that, that's that's. I don't know. It, it it's a bait that I started using and immediately got confidence in. Mm-hmm. And those we all know that all those other baits catch fish too. But oh yeah, you're just not throwing them as much. Yeah, I've I've often 
um, opened up my, I have a, a front hatch in my boat where all my, my, my baits and stuff are. And, um, I've often just opened it up I'm like, man, what are you feeling? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, you know, you're a guide. I'm like, look, man, I believe in a sight fishing scenario, every single one of these will catch a fish. So uh, what do you feel? You know what I mean? Like if you put it where it needs to be, it'll catch a fish. Absolutely. Most likely. So, and at the end of the day, really knows what a fish sees no, I, don't know. I mean i think they see silhouettes really well and i think that the way that the soft plastic game has changed and these things look when somebody's on the boat with me i'll think it's a a bait fish coming by and yeah. they're reeling their soft plastic in yeah. by me yeah i mean they're, they're that realistic now yeah they, they look that good yeah i i I think it has a lot to do with what you have confidence in. I think you're going to fish a bait you have confidence in a whole lot different than you're going to fish a bait that you really don't know about. You know what I mean? Captain Billy Stokes, who hired me at Eastern Outfitters, actually told me that little bit. And at first, I didn't get it. And and later on in my angling career, I, I understood. I'm like, yeah, it's about what you have confidence in. I'm going to throw a pink skitter walk just a little harder than I am going to be, you know, uh, whatever other top water for whatever reason, you, give me a she dog or a mirror lure. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I caught a couple fish, but I'm not sure about it. But I think they've catched the same amount of fish, you know. But I've I had my tail whipped in a tournament on a she dog. But for whatever reason, man, it's when I have the peak skitter walks in my hand, that's what my confidence is in. And I fish it just a little different. I throw it a little harder, put it in a little better spot. I don't know what it is. It's, um, it's, I think it's psychological for sure. But yeah. I also believe that fishing is 75 to 80% mental. I think you're right. It's um, like if I'm throwing a number eight, the small skitter walk for top water, I want that frog pattern. Everybody that's ever fished with me knows <laughs> yeah. that I'm going to be throwing the, the fr- And it's, I don't know what the, again, I don't know what the fish see, mm-hmm. but it's got a chartreuse belly on it. It's got this cool frog pattern on the back that I personally like. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, and then if I'm throwing the bigger size skitter walk, I think it's a number 11. Yep. I want pink or chartreuse. Uh, and uh, if I'm throwing something just a little bit larger than that, it'll always be that one knocker spook. And I like that and the chartreuse. Yeah. I've, I'm confident that I hooked my personal best speckled trout not more than three months ago on a um, – and a, what was a one knocker chartreuse and um it was one of those scenarios where and i was in my kayak and uh i went out it was kind of one of those warmer days it was very overcast it was a little bit windy it was a little bit of chop on the water it was trying to to sprinkle a little bit rain almost like a heavy dew it was one of those i probably shouldn't have come out here because i never have rain gear when i'm supposed to have it And I, the wind was blowing pretty hard, so I and I was throwing with the with the wind. So I threw a really long cast. It hit the water. I probably worked it about four times. I hooked up. I never saw blow up. Never saw the fish. There was that much, you know, chop on the water at that particular time. And the fish ran to the back. Uh, went, went went to the left, probably about thirty feet. And it turned around and went back to the right. And each time I was gaining a little bit on it. So it went back and forth about three times. So when I finally got it to the point, to the side of the boat where I could see it and it was swimming by, it was a trout. I'm, I, I don't, I've never caught any really huge trout. The biggest trout I've ever caught is 27 and a half inches long. That's a nice fish. But this was not a 27 and a half inch fish. And I, I was the only one there. It, it came by me. 
and I thought this thing is is definitely going to be my personal best. It's probably not thirty inches, but I, I wouldn't doubt if it's not twenty nine. And it came right by, and I didn't see that chartreuse one knocker at all. So I thought this is a caught fish. He's got the whole lure in his mouth. So I. I'm getting ready. I mean, I'm angling to get him close enough to get him on my net. He turns around, he comes back, and, I, and when he turns around the other way, I see the entire plug just stuck to the side of his gill plate. Oh, man. And then he just kind of peeled off directly, you know, away from me and, and popped off, and the plug went flying up in the air. It was just like, you know, I can hear the fish saying, I didn't get this big by being stupid, guy. You're going to have to try <laughs> harder now. Dude, that is, I mean, I, I feel like I was there. I'm, I think I might be depressed the rest of the evening. Oh, I put my head down for a few minutes. <laughs> but it was, you know, he gave me that experience, and yeah. it was it was so cool, and I'll never go by that area again. And not make a and not And not at least think about, you know, that experience. And, Dang. It, you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of why you keep going back. None of us, I mean, you probably are, but I'm definitely not getting rich. Uh, trying to catch fish it's cost me money every time I go no, I'm far from rich you see the what I call headquarters here hey, it works yeah it does. I'm digging headquarters yeah but uh definitely not getting rich uh but I'm gonna keep trying dadgummit don't ever give up <laughs> yeah it's crazy how one um one one hookup I mean you don't have to catch a fish no and you're never gonna look at that spot the same sometimes dude I don't know how common or popular this is, but like, I just wish I could erase for one day, for one trip, I want to erase everything I know about this area from Southport to Emerald Isle. Erase everything I know and just go fishing like it's brand new. Because in the past three years, I've gotten to go to these new places, you know, Charleston, Louisiana, um, uh, and every, kind of everywhere in between, you know, Florida, um, Mesquite Lagoon, um, New Smyrna. All these crazy places. I'm looking at these places for the first time ever. I'm like, that looks fishy, that looks fishy, that looks fishy. And I want to go to to what I call my backyard here in Sneeds Ferry, North Topsail, and, and Swansboro, and just not know anything about it and just start fishing it without these preconceived notions where I've hooked a fish there. I, I lost a fish there. And um, I, I think that would be a really productive way to view the fishery. No, and... And I get why you probably feel that way because, you know, if, if I were a guide, which I will never be, <laughs> but if I were, that would be, you know, I, I'd probably want to go back to a lot of my old fateful areas or, you know, if I know that I'm near a place that I've caught fish really well on a certain tide and it was that tide, I'm, I'm probably not going to do any exploring. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, some of the times I have the luxury just to go out and just goof around and yeah. go up creeks and places yeah. that I've never been before and then and, and then fish new areas and you know a lot of times you know they're not productive but if you can find areas that look like areas Deep the head. other 10 areas that you have that produce fish that's right on whatever tide and if you know what's there um I, I've told people you know people will text me or I'll meet people on the water and they say well how do you find fish and I said, go to a place where you know there's fish, a community hole or just, you know, some place where people fish at all the time. And, you know, don't do this while they're fishing, but 
go in on a low tide or something and really take a hard look at the air and pay attention to everything. Pay attention to where the sun sets. Pay attention to, to the grass lines. Pay attention to the oysters. Are they live oysters? Are they dead oysters? Is it mud? Is it sand? And figure out all the things that are in that area that make that area special to the fish and just go try to find other areas that have all or some of that. Yep. Duplicate, duplicate, duplicate. Right. And and that'll start whittling down. You know what I mean? You might have thought it was the kind of grass growing. Well, turns out it was the oysters in the formation or it was the shape of the bank. You know what I mean? If you take it all in at spot number one and then you, you shave some things off, well, that spot wasn't, you know, those features wasn't at this spot. You go to the next spot, duplicate again. Well, some of those features wasn't here. You'll start shaving it down, and you'll start to key in. Like That's how you get these tournament guys. Like Some tournament guys fish docks, and they've only fished certain kinds of docks. Other tournament guys look for certain things in the marsh, and that's, and that's what they key in on. That's what they're good at. And before long, you'll have multiple things. You're really good at fishing. So I totally agree. Duplicate, duplicate, duplicate. Yeah, I think everybody that dock fishes has got their own little oh. magic cut yeah. that they think they've got in their pocket for what dock they're supposed to fish that's right i do yeah. <laughs> and i'm not even a dock fisherman like that i don't know you know as it I, I usually fish like most anglers do i fish shallow in the morning and then as the day wears on i'll get a little bit deeper so um i end up on docks pretty much by about 11 o'clock or so and then um some of the some of the uh, some of the docks that we fish, you know, they're just there's not even any top on them anymore. And so I never I always tell people, you know, never pass an old busted dock because they always seems to be something there that's still going to draw fish to it. Maybe it's huge clusters of barnacles down below the water surface that you can't see. But um, one of the main things about dock fishing that's helped me a lot is again taking your time. Um, get your cast, uh, find a, if, especially if you're an artificial fisherman like I am, uh, find something that you can, uh, you can comfortably cast and something that you can cast low and you can, you know, you can skip it. So something that you can skip in between the pilings way back. And it cause it seems like if you'll make a cast and it gets a foot under the dock and you reel it out, you get nothing and you make a second cast and you, you're lucky and you can get it three feet four feet back there and you get nothing but then you get that last cast that you're that you throw under and it goes another foot bam that's the one that gets hit yeah but um the thing that i do once i get it under or once i get it through the dock to the other side once i start bringing it back through soft plastics is i'm not in any hurry to get it through there i I, as a matter of fact i i don't i'll even stop stop the paddle tail and just wiggle the rod tip side to side just so it's just kind of wiggling on the bottom because I want it to stay under there as long as it, it possibly can. And most of the time, that's when it gets picked up. If I throw it, you know, I still catch them that way, but if I throw it and it goes through and I'm, and I'm pulling it back like I would if I was fishing a, a grass bank, um, they won't touch it. But if I throw it back through again and I just wiggle it out so the tail's, you know, Z-Man floats, so the tail's fluttering up in the air and it's just kind of wiggling – uh, that's when they'll come and pick it up. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I really loved the top water, the way you fish the top water on a dock. I thought that was really cool. But when I pull up to a dock on that point, I am totally prepared to lose at least $20 worth of tackle. 
<laughs> yeah, there's that too. Especially when you hook up. Yeah. No, I'm not yeah. even talking about bad cast. I mean, a bad cast too. We all make bad casts, but I mean, hooking up, you know, halfway through the dock or, or on your, on the first, you know, as it sinks down after it's done skipping, um, just, just totally be prepared to lose a little bit of money. But let's be honest, if we're going fishing, we're, We've already put gas in the tank. We're okay with losing a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and every time it seems like I hook a redfish, immediately they go left or right. They don't run away. They 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 seem to just go left or right. So when you're throwing under docks, you know, you have that you gotta have that drag locked down because if you don't turn their head, they're gonna go left or right. And the mm-hmm. minute that your mono or whatever you're using for a leader hits one of those pilings with any sort of growth on it, they, they pop it. Done. It's, it's gone completely. Yeah. I've noticed, and uh, I don't have a ton of experience with bull drum. I've noticed they head straight for the deep water every time. Bull drum. If you're near a channel, they're going to the channel. If you're near the main body of river, they're going to the main body. And I don't see the same thing. I, I would agree with you. Top water, you know, soft plastics, bait. For some reason, slot fish in our area go left and right. Rarely, rarely ever run away. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it, it, I didn't. I would have never even picked up on that aspect of it if it hadn't been for dog fishing. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, the other thing, you know, with with the whole dog fishing concept is, you know, I I typically start toward the shallower water and work my way out to to the deeper stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's and I don't have any idea why this is, but if there is a floating dock on that particular dock, and there's a, then the ramp that goes down to it fire five or six casts under that ramp that i've caught more fish under the ramps than than i than i probably do under the the deep end of the you know of the dock really? the ramps are magic i don't know you know and uh any any of the old docks and especially if you know you've got some some boats on there that you can tell that they get used hard mm-hmm. and there's a cleaning table on it fire a few shots underneath that cleaning table there's nine times out of ten that's if you're going to hook up on that dock it's going to be under an old cleaning table Dang. So, I, evidently, I spend, spend way too much time thinking about <laughs> old docks. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. That's some really good tidbits about about dock fishing. There's, there's That's a, some aspects I've never considered, too. That's really awesome. But um, is there anything else you'd like to add or any, any other little that's – a, that's a whole lot of advice to digest. I might have to listen to this five or six times just to pick it all up. But uh, anything else you'd like to add, buddy? Uh, nothing that I can think of. Um just um you know if you're if you're thinking about getting into the we've talked about a lot of different ways to fish but if you're thinking about getting into the kayak game um find your you know if you really love the fish and you think you want a kayak you either, you know go to a, a lot of the the major brand dealers in Wilmington around they'll have uh, these demo days where they'll go take put the boats in Greenfield Lake or sometimes even up here at um in some of the next to some of the you know local boat ramps uh don't just go buy something to float in something first even if you've got to borrow something from somebody you yeah. know if anybody out there wants to is thinking about pulling the trigger on something as expensive as a pa14 and you can't get a ride on one i'll let you you know we we can put mine in the water and you can paddle around for half an hour and you know see if it's really what you what you want because these things are getting crazy expensive yeah i mean they're they're John boat expensive. Mm-hmm. It makes you, you know, wonder why, you know, why'd I get this plastic boat when I could get that metal boat with an engine on the back? 
about the same amount of money. Yeah, that's funny. No, that's a good piece of advice. I think that personally, I think that reigns true for boats. You know what I mean? Get on a boat first. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I um I I was fortunate enough to be on two or three Hughes Red Fishers uh, before that that I bought mine and actually one guy I was just admiring his boat at the Riceville Beach boat ramp. And I to this day I don't remember the gentleman's name. But he was about to bring his boat in and put it on the trailer. And I said, that's the one I want. I think that's what I really think that's the one I want. It has all the, you know, all the things that, that I'm looking for in a boat with the 13 degrees of dead rise. Again, not super shallow, but rides just really nice. And coming out of a flat bottom skiff, um, I, I, I wanted something more comfortable. And he took me, he took me for a 20 minute ride in it. And uh, that's when I knew and th- that that's what I want. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, Eastern Current's a great resource for that. You know, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, or have feedback here, whether you contact me, Judd, or Cameron. I mean, we're, we're a great place to hook anybody up looking to get on any kind of boat. Yeah, I would think it, that with, within our community of Eastern Current, we can get you on something similar to, to see whether you like whether or not you like it. But that, that's a really good piece of advice. Yeah, you guys did a really great podcast on – flats boats and skiffs and and so forth with a lot of good information yeah about a year ago right yeah it was a whole lot of good information yeah yeah that was that was a fun one i'm a a gearhead when it comes to boats i love boats and and i don't know as much about them as some people but man i just love you know this boat has this and that boat has that the storage the dead rise the freeboard the you know the tunnel the the way the bottom looks is all really really cool to me yeah there's Every boat that you, you know, my problem is every boat that I see, I want. And um, <laughs> probably your situation as well. Yeah. Being, oh, yeah. But uh, it, you've got to just figure out, you know, what works for you. That's right. And um, mm-hmm. what you're going to be using it for. I, there's, you know, I'd love to have a boat that I could go float four inches and, in, you know, in the marsh and then, you know, take it out to the, you know, the Liberty ship on a windy day <laughs> uh, but uh, you just got to figure out what you're going to do mm-hmm. the most of and yeah. then go after that platform yeah well you need multiple for this area yeah i think you do that's what i've come to i I think judd said one time he's like you need five boats to fish this area <laughs> to enjoy the water in north carolina you need five boats i was like daggum right and some sponsors <laughs> <laughs> daggum right you need three kayaks five boats and uh, a billion sponsors that, that has to be it but no, it, it's a great area, great fishery, but you know, nailing in exactly what or nailing down exactly what you want to do in this fishery can be a daunting task for sure. Yeah, and the only other thing that I would say is is you know if you if you love our fishery, if you if you love being out on the water, you know, get involved. Right. I, I've been going to some some meetings and uh, getting more involved in you know the, the fishery and where our strengths and weaknesses are and kind of uh, you know regulatory things. Now that I have the time to do it and uh, not really to, to get up and, and, you know, pound my chest and say, this is the way that things should, should be done. But I've been getting a heck of an education yeah, on you know, the shellfish leases on the speckled trout and the different things. Uh, so it's, you know, educate yourself and um, you know, you might be the one that can, you know, help solve some of these problems. That's right. That's exactly right. Even if it's just, you worded something differently in the, in the managers and the councilmen and all that, it resonated with them or you're really, really smarter than we are. <laughs> What's highly likely. <laughs> no, that, that's a really good point, man. If you're on fire about the fishery and want to get involved, that that's definitely, definitely need that. that that's a good point. 
But, man, I really do appreciate you making time to come out and, and be on the podcast. I've had a blast sitting down with you, and uh, I look forward to next time. It was my pleasure. Yes, Thanks sir. for asking. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.